Well, it's been a few months since we've thrown an exceptional educator into the mix, so I figured now was as good a time as any to spotlight another one. And I mean to tell you, we could not ask for a more exceptional educator than my special guest this week. And boy, does she hold a special spot in my heart. Becky Johnson is her name. She was my first and second grade teacher at Henderson's East Heights Elementary School. Yes, she put up with all my crazy antics. And uh, her resume is quite impressive, to say the least. It includes roles ranging from teacher to director of instruction to principal, you name it, she pretty much did it while serving within the realm of education. She retired a few years ago, but she has plenty of experience to speak from and plenty of wisdom to impart on us. We will get a taste of that in mere, mere moments on Blabbit in the Bluegrass Season 6, Episode 9, which starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Shively to Shady Grove, Shelbyville to Shepherdsville, nobody but nobody covers the Commonwealth quite like we do here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass as we explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore here at the incomparable, irreplaceable North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson, KY, and it goes without saying that my exceptional educator this time around has quite a fascinating and inspirational story to tell. I told you she was my first and second grade teacher at East Heights Elementary. I was the first totally blind student to ever go through the Henderson County school system, and Becky Johnson's second, maybe third year, but we think it was her second year at East Heights, that's when I became a student in her classroom, and of course I was in her class the year after as well, but she was very excited about the opportunity to have a totally blind student in her classroom, and she could not have handled it any better. I tell you, she turned out to be one of my absolute favorite teachers. I will always thank the world of her, and you'll be interested to hear her account of uh, my time in her classroom, her time spent with me. And uh, luckily, she had good things to say about me, and I didn't even have to pay her to say those good things. So I was quite grateful for that. We each shared some uh, some moments of nostalgia during our conversation, and she worked with a number of other great students and great faculty members in her various roles, not only in Henderson County, but also at Audubon Elementary School in Owensboro. So you won't want to miss a minute of Becky Johnson. She is waiting in the wings. We will get to her in just a sec. But before we do, I have another bluegrass brain buster hot off the press and ready for your ears we strive to do one of these each and every week, so we'll give you the question now. 
We'll give you time to think on it, and you will get the answer at the conclusion of the program. I want to know, on which day each year do we celebrate National Kentucky Day? Again, on which day do we annually celebrate National Kentucky Day? Get the wheels spinning, but not too fast. We don't want you to miss anything that Becky Johnson has to say, and we will give you the answer at the conclusion of today's show. Best of luck. Blinded in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. Well, today we have the epitome of an exceptional educator with us. She spent many, many years teaching and serving not only in Henderson County, but also in neighboring Davis County. And her roles range from teacher to uh, director of instruction to even assistant principal and principals. And needless to say, her, uh, her resume is seemingly endless. And we have a lot to talk about. So here to uh, discuss her impressive career with us and offer some uh, friendly advice for those aspiring to uh, follow in her footsteps and perhaps become future educators. Let's welcome none other than my first and second grade teacher, Miss <laughs> Becky Johnson. Well, thank you, Sam. And I loved the two years that I got to have you as both a first and second grader. Well, it, it made you stronger, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I just loved it. I, I remember the first day that I met you, I had no I, earthly idea what I would do. Um, because as far as I know, you were the first student with that disability to roll into Henderson County Schools. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I was going to work to challenge you. And it was um, two exciting years. And I know that I grew as a teacher. Well, I grew as a student. That was I was <laughs> indeed the first uh, totally blind student to ever enter the uh, the Henderson County school system. And I'll never forget my second grade year. Um, of course, elementary school was the year that, you know, the, the, during those elementary years, they always try to give everybody an award for something at the end of the year. And my award was most musical student. You remember that? You, yes. And you truly were. <laughs> you were um, a sweet kid in that um, went to school in a place that had very few walls and doors. It was the old open concept. And the way you adapted was absolutely amazing. Oh, look at you. <laughs> That's nice of you to say, yes, East Heights was a lot different back then than it is now. It, but, uh, it was. <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're so glad you're here and it's great to talk to you again. Why don't let's uh, start by uh, having you describe to us when and how you were first bitten by the teaching bug, Becky. Um, oh my goodness. My mother would tell you that I grew up playing school with my younger sisters and kids in my grandmother's neighborhood. And um, I was kind of always the one that was wanting to play the teacher role. And then um, later, that little bug continued. Uh, when I got into high school, um, I co-opted at East Heights Elementary with five first grade classrooms my senior year. So I got to go over there to the first two periods of the day. Uh -huh. And um, I, I just loved it. Daryl Watkins was the principal over there. And um, that was a really good experience. Um, I did try at one point to, to kind of run from being a teacher. When I first started my first two years of college, um, I still was kind of running from the idea that teaching was what I wanted to do. Um, 
But by year three of college, when I started that third year, um, I, I had chosen my path and there was no changing it. So, so to try um, as you may to run for it, it just kept or run from it, I should say, it just kept tugging at you. This is true. This is true. I, I truly thought I looked at um, several different things during my first and second year of college, but um, I, I think the pathway had already been chosen for me. I just was trying, trying not to, to follow it, but um, it just eventually drew me in. It drew you in and it hooked you. And of course, uh, Daryl Watkins, that former principal of these sites, a lot of our Hendersonians will remember him from uh, Daryl Watkins photography, which he went into in later years. Yes, yes. But uh, he, that was <laughs> that was a very successful endeavor for him. But um, anyhow, Becky, uh, just as you had a profound impact on the lives of many students, myself included, a number of former educators undoubtedly had a profound impact on you during your childhood. So uh, talk about a few of your favorite teachers as a youngster and describe how they equipped you for success in school and in life. Well, I think um, I truly fell in love with school my first grade year. Back in 1971, kids didn't actually have to go to kindergarten. That was, um, you could oh, go, but true. you didn't have to. Yeah, it was just way different back then. And so um, I started school as a little first grader at 7th Street School. And my teacher was named Miss Wilhite. And oh. um, she was uh, sweet and quiet and soft-spoken, but firm. And um, I can just remember sitting in her little reading group and I just fell in love with her. Um, and then in third grade, um, I had Miss Nan Turnus, who um, lots of people in Henderson County will know, but she was my third grade teacher. And I remember the year that I had her, I fell in love with, with um, poetry. And um, she was just, um, I remember one funny story. Um, my grandmother had given me a birthstone ring and I lost it out on the playground. And Miss Turnus took the whole class out and helped um, helped me to look for that ring. We never did find it, but it, that always stuck in my mind that she let the whole class go out there and try to look for it. Well, it was, it's the thought that counts, I guess. Uh -huh, very much so. <laughs> and then in middle school, I had some amazing people like Gerald Vincent, who um, like, uh, they just don't come any better. He would occasionally bring his guitar and, and play music for us in our social studies class. I had Roy Pullum, who gave every single kid um, a nickname. Um, and Miss Oh, Linda there was never a dull moment with Roy, with Roy <laughs> Pullum, no doubt. <laughs> you, you are 100% accurate there. Um, I still uh, occasionally have, have spoken with him. He's a, an amazing man. And um, Glenda Guess, who um, was one of the first teachers that I had in math that helped me to truly understand math. It was never my best subject and she was amazing. Um, and in high school, I had, um, I never even had him in class, but I watched Johnny Mathias. I would talk to him in the hall and just watching the relationships that he built with kids across that building. Oh yes. Yeah. And Marietta Peckinpah, um, she taught a couple of, um, of like, not oh, really yeah, I had classes. Marietta as well. Yeah. 
I always thought that she was one of the boldest, most straightforward, but caring people. Um, and then I also had Leslie Young in high school. And I was a little bit scared of Miss Young, but I think it was because <laughs> like you had to be prepared and informed walking into her classroom. Like you couldn't walk in doing things off the cuff because she was going to cold call you and you had better be ready to talk. Oh, um, so you had to bring your A game whenever you set foot in Miss Young's class. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> truly you did. And I think that intimidated me as a student. But as I went into teaching, um, those were some things that I learned to learn to apply to help kids grow. And even as a beginning, um, when I first started my career, like um, um, you will probably remember Dr. Marna Heron. Like, oh, yeah. Um, my first principal. Yes. She she was definitely not afraid of anything. She tackled things head on and was straightforward. And she truly was the first real model that I had of always putting kids first with every decision she made. Sure. Um, and I, I, I loved her. And then my first principal that gave me an opportunity to start using my leadership skills outside of the classroom was Diane Embry. She was amazing. She trusted me. Um, she let me know that and she showed it in everything she did. And um, she truly modeled what it meant to um, have high expectations for her staff and for students every day as she moved around the building. Um, and then probably one of the most profound impacts on me was Joe Swanson. Somehow, sure. like somehow she looked at me when she was principal at East Heights and she saw something that I, I didn't even see in myself. She saw that I could be a leader and she pushed me and challenged me and she trusted me and questioned me. And um, literally, awesome. I, I just walked into that building every day knowing that I was going to be a better teacher that day because of her expectations. And um, so she really had an impact. Yeah, but she she believed in you. She and... really did. <laughs> but also, I've had just as many kids that have shaped me in, um, in my abilities to lead and teach um, a lot of the students. Uh, I mean, my own child... Um, had your middle name because when I had you as a student, you impacted me so greatly that oh, I, I wanted that. my child. Yes, my my son's name was Ryan Samuel, and he was actually named after two students that I had. Um, and mainly, I chose yours because you had the most positive outlook, um, regardless of hurdles that you'd had to overcome. You had the most positive outlook on life. And I wanted my own child to have that. So he actually ended up with your, um, being named after you. So, well, and I was, I was definitely honored that, uh, you, uh, you gave your son, uh, my first name as his middle name. Now you've got another son too, right? I do. I do. Um, he is, uh, William Preston Johnson. He actually has been working for Henderson County schools, um, but he just recently um, accepted a position in Evansville. Um, he works in the field of technology like his father does. And um, so, yeah, awesome. he's he will be 25 in November. Kudos to William and uh, yeah. shout out to him on the uh, on the podcast here today. Now, uh, tell me where you furthered your education 
beyond high school, Becky, and discuss, if you would, the uh, the classroom study and career-related experience you engaged in as a college student. Um, well, being, um, I went all the way through Henderson County Schools, and then uh, my first two years of college, I actually went to Henderson Community College. Um, I had a full scholarship, so I was there for two years, and then gotcha. I transferred over to um, the University of Southern Indiana and got my Bachelor of Science in Elementary Education. Oh, um, gotcha, so you're a screaming eagle. I am, I am, and um, I... At that point, when I started my junior year um, at, at the University of Southern Indiana, I knew by then I was going into teaching. And so I actually, for the two years that I was there, scheduled my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Monday night and Wednesday night. And I specifically did that so that I could substitute teach because by the time I got started my junior year, I had enough credits to substitute. So I would substitute three days a week um, out in the school system, and then I would go to school um, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Monday and Wednesday night. So um, just... Go. So that, that kept you busy, to say the least. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I learned a lot because substitute teaching, that's a difficult gig right there. Um, oh, to me, if, I believe it. <laughs> if you can go into somebody else's classroom and have kids learn anything that day, it's it's an accomplishment. Um, I even I have a funny story. I literally hadn't even turned nineteen yet when I could start substituting, and this was right before I started at USI, and right. I had a a teacher from the high school that saw my name on the substitute list and she knew who I was. So she called me and asked me if I would, if I would come out and sub at the high school a week before my college classes started. And I was a, a little bit nervous about it, but I told her that I would do it. And I was so insulted. I wasn't even 19 yet. I was, wasn't going to turn 19 for a month. And I got stopped in the hallway by one of the teachers for a hall pass. And I was so insulted. <laughs> I guess I just walked in thinking if I'm, you know, if I felt large and in charge that everybody else would follow suit. And they, they kind of oh, did. Oh my like, goodness. So one of the teachers thought you were a student. Yes. Yes. And I was insulted by it, but here I was uh, just a little, a uh, literally a year older than most of the students in high school so yeah you weren't quite 19 but, yeah. <laughs> but it anyway, took a yeah. few years yeah it <laughs> took a few years for me to realize how funny that was because I was very insulted that day I was like I am a substitute teacher here <laughs> yeah give me the credit that I'm due but uh, uh -huh. but anyway, yeah. yeah some aspects of, of being a substitute teacher are, are harder than being a uh, a regular full-time teacher, aren't they? Oh, 100%. It, it's a tough job. Yes, indeed. But uh, so, good, good experience, to, to say the least. And then um, I assume you did some, some student teaching during those later college years? Oh, yes, yes. Um, I student taught. Um, and I actually student taught at Central Elementary. That's before it. Um, oh yeah, I before remember. it was alternative. But <laughs> before it became CLC. <laughs> yes, and um, so I I did my um, student teaching at Central in a second grade classroom, 
And then I went on to um, Indiana State University. And while I was teaching, I worked on um, a master's in elementary education and received that. And then a few years later, um, under uh, the influence of um, when Dr. Marna Heron had left and Joe Swanson had come into East Heights, um, I actually went back and got a second master's in educational administration from Murray State University. So, oh, two um, masters under your belt. <laughs> yes, yes. I really liked school. There you go. I love to learn. <laughs> I only have one master's. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't. Um, I think the first master's, I just got it because I absolutely had to. The sure. second one, um, I was truly ready and wanting to grow. And so, um, like, I, I was very happy when I, I went back and did that because it was completely 100% by choice. And sure. um, I learned a lot. Awesome. Yeah. And when you went to Indiana State, um, you, uh, you actually took those classes on U of East campus, didn't you? I did. I did. Because I, I knew they were offering classes at UE there for a long time. They were. And um, so their professors would come down in the summer. And I had a, a, a group of um, other teachers from Henderson that we sort of went through a lot of our classes together. We would ride over to UE together. And so that's how we would spend our summers um, trying so to get to everything. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yes. There you go. Now, uh, speaking, I'll tell you another um uh, Another University of Evansville uh, alumnus, at least in terms of her masters, is um, your former neighbor right next door to you in a classroom beside you, Miss Heather Bewley Coons. Oh yes, <laughs> she also got yes. her masters from U of E or ISU, technically, but at U of E. Yeah, I loved, I loved, I still love Miss. Miss Heather, she's amazing, amazing yeah. person and a, a wonderful teacher. And I'm sure she is just amazing, uh, just as amazing as the media specialist. Oh, yes. And she, uh, <laughs> she's a former guest on here too. And she was, uh, she was awesome in that role as well. So <laughs> yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to go back and uh, listen to her podcast, Becky. I'm I sure will. You, <laughs> I'm sure you won't be uh, disappointed at all. But uh, anyhow, you would serve as a, um, a middle school principal and assistant principal later in your career, but you spent a number of years teaching elementary school students. So uh, explain what exactly sparked your uh, initial interest in this age group as opposed to middle schoolers or high schoolers, Becky. Well, um, when, I, when I got my Bachelor of Science degree, um, it was actually in elementary education. And back then they certified you K through eight. So I could teach any, anything, any subject K through eight. But um, I truly fell in love with um, teaching kids to read. Like um, that was one of the most important things I thought. And so I spent um, about 12 years out of my almost 20 years in the classroom in some combination of K through two. Like that was the age of Kara. So some years I would have K1, some years I would have one, two. One year I had K one two threes like um, so, but it it was truly for me all about teaching kids to read. Like for me, I I just felt like nothing could be as important as teaching kids to read and sparking that love 
of, of learning and growing through reading. So um, I just loved that. And then later, I, um, when I moved into middle school, I found out that that was the neediest group of kids that I'd ever seen. It's a very difficult, demanding age. Kids are trying to find themselves. And so once I got into middle school, I kind of fell in love with it because they're so hard to love. Like they're just going through so much. And um, so I kind of, I just sort of fell in love with middle school when I got there. So, yeah, when I turned 13, uh, my uncle Paul jokingly told me, he goes, you're hitting that icky age, Sam, you better be good. (laughs) So it's it's tough I mean as they are trying to find themselves they're not meaning to make everybody else miserable but they are as they are just trying to figure out who they are what they stand for um like going through all of those things it's just a hard age so yeah they're um, (laughs) they're trying to 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 figure themselves out and of course um, mm -hmm. nowadays the the certifications are are separate of course for elementary middle and high school yes yes it's um (laughs) but so I've loved um every group of kids that I have ever interacted with I, I just I like serving others, and um, I, I especially have learned over the years that I really like to feel needed. So uh, when oh, I yeah. feel needed, I am at my highest functioning right then. Yeah, a lot of people can relate to that one. We all, <laughs> we all want to feel valued. Now, uh, mm-hmm. tell me where it was, Becky Johnson, that you landed that very first teaching job after graduation, and talk about your uh, your fondest memories of this early stage in your career? Well, um, right before I was graduating college in May of 88, I was in a terrible car accident. Uh-oh. And um, yeah, I ended up got my, that's before you had to wear seat belts, And my, yeah. my head actually went through the windshield of the car. So I ended up with about um, over 150 stitches in my face. I had a my broken goodness. arm in two places. I literally looked like a mess and I ended up getting called to probably five interviews over that summer. So I'd walk in this, you know, young kid, you know, 21, fresh out of college saying, I'm going to be out of all this stuff, like all this big pillow in the cast and the turban around my head. And yeah, I I won't look like this forever. Trust me. Yes. (laughs) I was like, I, I, I'm going to be good to go by the time school starts in August. Like, um, but I didn't get hired, but finally, um, I got a phone call, um, just a few days before school was going to start. And I had just gotten out of my cast. Um, I wasn't having to wear the thing on my head anymore. And, um, Dr. Charles Mays out at Bengate called me for an interview and he and Shannon Hudson, his, um, one of his main, you know, um, I don't know if she was team leader or what, what, position she served but she was a first grade teacher sat in on the interview and um, luckily they saw um, you know they took a little pity on me and decided to give give me that opportunity and um, so literally I think I interviewed on a Thursday and they called me on Friday and um, I think it was right over Labor Day so I think I I had the weekend to get my class together and started school with with students on Tuesday. So, oh, that's awesome! Um, it all happened so quick too. 
It did. And so I started, I started at Bengate Elementary when they were the Bengate Rebels. So the Rebels. Yeah, of course, they're the yeah. Gators now. Oh, but, yes. Uh, but anyway, yeah, those were the days when school still didn't start until right after Labor Day, did it? Well, I think we actually started right before, but they had so many kids to show up for first grade that they ended up having to add a class that used to, that used to kind of happen. But back then we did start the third or fourth week in August. So we were only in school for a few days and then we were out for Labor Day. So I actually got hired in after school had already started. There you go. So they, they were only a few days in though, but, uh, oh, yes. but yeah, you were, you were hired on pretty quickly after uh, that happened. Now, how long were you at uh, Bengate, Becky, before you drifted over to my neck of the woods at East Heights? Um, I was at Bengate for five years. And um, so 88 to about, I don't know, 92 so 93, or so. Yeah. Or and so, maybe, yeah. yeah. And then um I transferred over to um, East Heights. Daryl Watkins actually hired me, but he was getting ready to retire. So he was only there till the end of June. And that's when they hired in Dr. Marna Heron. So um, I was, I started when Dr. Heron started at East I Heights. I gotcha. So Daryl Watkins hired you, but you never actually worked for him. Exactly. Gotcha. <laughs> and Marna Heron took over. Yeah. And then I guess uh, this, your second year at East Heights is... Uh, when you had your hands full with me, your second and third years. <laughs> I, I actually loved it. Um, as a matter of fact, I can remember the very first day that we met you and your mom and dad. They came out in the summer and were walking through the building with Dr. Heron and you stopped and talked um, to another teacher and I and um, Dr. Heron introduced us to your parents and when you walked off, the other teacher said, oh, he's so pitiful. What are we going to do with him? And I said, literally, I just waited until the whole thing was over. And at the end of the day, I went to Dr. Heron and I said, I have no idea what I will do with a student that can't see, but I will figure it out. But I am not going to pity him. I need to push him. So if you want to put him in my class, I would love to have him. And so I spent the summer the rest of the summer, just trying to figure out different ways that I would be able to do some things to make sure that you were included and pushed and um, that I could still have high expectations because I thought, I don't think he needs to be pitied. He needs to be pushed. Oh, yeah. Everybody needs to be challenged. <laughs> yes. So um, I just, um, and I don't, I'm not knowing her like I'd like I knew her, um, she probably wouldn't have done that as a classroom teacher, but I just thought, oh, no, 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 he needs to be pushed, and so I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was bound to figure it out. Yeah, well, you know? and, and you, you did a great job of it, and uh, you know, luck, luckily, you had uh, Kathy Grant to collaborate uh, with. Yes, she's and, uh, amazing. She's my former Braille teacher, and uh, yes, she, and she is truly amazing. She's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful person to work with. Absolutely. And believe it or not, she just retired at the end of last year. So I know. Yeah. <laughs> well deserved retirement indeed. But uh anyhow, Becky, even though college is an excellent training ground for future educators, there are some things that we all have to learn through the school of hard knocks, regardless of uh, what profession we're in. So what surprised you most about the profession as a, a young teacher what were some of the most valuable lessons you learned 
uh, during those first few years? Well, let's see. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me the most fresh out of college was how little time the university actually prepared me to manage 25 to 30 bodies. Like oh, uh-huh. <laughs> just that classroom structure and the management. Um, I was really very lucky that I had um, Shannon Hudson, who is um, one of my mentor teachers. Um, I had Lydia Tisserin, who was another first grade teacher, quiet, soft-spoken, highly structured. Patty Sellers, who went on to be um, principal at Niagara. Those were all of, yeah, like those were all of my fellow teachers. And I would go in their classroom and watch how they did things. And plus all that substituting that I had been doing for two years, all of those things helped me to kind of um, get it together so that I could manage all those little people. But I think that was one of the, the most surprising things. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Lydia and, and Patty probably served as, uh, as mentors for you as well during those oh, early years, no doubt. Very much so. And, and Patty Sellers was, I mean, she went on to be my mentor um, as I started my first um, year as principal at North. Um, she was a mentor that would come in every few weeks and just kind of sit down with me and let me bounce things around. So um, she has been my mentor for a long time. Those mentors are uh, a must regardless of uh, of our career path. So you were, you were lucky yeah. to have those, I'd say. Now, I know that as an elementary school teacher, Becky, uh, you are responsible for teaching a wide range of, of subjects to your students. No doubt you were at least somewhat partial to all of them but just out of curiosity of the subjects you taught uh, which ones were your favorites and uh, why so um again I'm going back to the fact that I I thought that teaching reading was the greatest gift that I could ever give to any student (laughs) so (laughs) if they could read they could learn any other subject that, that they needed to know. So I just always felt like that was the most important thing. Um, those 12 years of teaching some combination of first grade um, reading was wonderful. Later, I think when I moved to fourth grade, I fell in love with science. Um, it, it pushed me to constantly learn. And um, I'm sure a lot of the stuff that I taught um, in fourth grade, I had learned, but it had been so long. I was constantly having to study and read and to prepare. And I was never, even though I loved to read, I, I was never a great writer. And um, I think w- when I taught fourth grade, I learned to be a much better writer as I was teaching kids. So I, I was almost teaching myself to be a better writer as I was teaching um, my fourth grade students to be better writers. Oh, yeah, because you taught fourth graders during those portfolio years, didn't you? Oh, yes, yes, oh, yes. Oh, how well I, I remember that fourth grade portfolio. Yeah, <laughs> it was, um, it was challenging. Um, I think, I think one of the subjects that was probably my least favorite in the beginning of my career was math, and that's because I wasn't a great student in math, but um, <laughs> I think it, Also, I think sometimes when something is more difficult for you, you have to work a lot harder at it. And I just didn't want kids to struggle with math. So I think I got a lot better at math just simply because I was constantly 
preparing and trying to make it easier for other kids. So I did a lot of, I, I did a lot of professional development, learning new math skills, like um, just trying to improve myself as a teacher so that I would be a better math teacher because it was go. a challenge for me. So right, absolutely. But but you you became comfortable with uh, what you needed to become comfortable with, shall we say? I, I did. I did <laughs> in the realm of math and the reading. Like you said, if, if, you know, if you, if you don't excel in reading, you're you're not going to excel in any other subjects. Mm-hmm. So so it is definitely uh, an important one. Now. Uh, where did you teach fourth grade, Becky? Because I don't remember you teaching fourth grade at East Heights. I actually did. Um, oh, Joe did Swanson. I did. Um, Joe Swanson. Um, we lost one of our fourth grade teachers to Niagara. She transferred to Niagara about, I don't know, maybe two weeks before school was going to start. Oh, wow. And I had, I had finished my administration degree. And I thought that it would probably be a good idea for me to do something other than just I'd always pretty much done K one, two, threes. I'd done sixth grade, sixth grade when I was at Bingate. That's when sixth grade was still in elementary. Right. So, so I went to Miss Swanson trying to push myself out of my own comfort zone and said, I will figure fourth grade out. If you want me to go up just so you don't have to, especially two weeks before school is going to start, just about anybody you were going to hire was going to be a brand new teacher. And it was an assessed grade. So I said, I'll go up and do fourth grade. If you'll let me go back to first grade at the end of the year, I'll go up and do fourth grade this year. And um, true to my own form, I guess, I got up and loved fourth grade and begged her not to send me back at the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) You had a change of heart. (laughs) I did. um, Oh, goodness. That's awesome. So So you ended up staying in fourth grade longer than just one year. I did. I stayed several years, but it was fourth grade out at East Heights. Fourth grade out at East Heights. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's awesome. Now, after spending considerable time in uh, the Henderson County school system, you took your knowledge and expertise to uh, Owensboro's Audubon Elementary, where you held the title of um, staff developer, but uh, I assume you held a regular teaching role over there for a few years at Audubon prior to that, didn't you? No, I actually didn't. Um, Diane Embry, um, who was um, a band director here in Henderson, and she was a principal at Central Elementary. And um, then she moved to Davis County and was principal at Audubon Elementary. And um, she actually contacted me in the summer and said she had a staff developer position open in her school and wondered if I'd want to interview for it. And um, staff developers very similar to the Henderson County instructional coaches. Um, oh, okay. It's just their, their, their word for it. Their, their title yes, basically. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and it has a few other things that go with it in Davis County, but, um, essentially I would go in and work with, um, teachers and staff, Um, It was all about how to improve instruction and learning. So I would coach teachers. I'd go in and model lessons. I desegregated all of their test data. I assisted new teachers with just getting acclimated and classroom management. Um, I would perform um, 
professional development and do teacher training. Um, I also served, um, part, part of my day was spent with gifted and talented students within our school. So, oh, cool. Um, okay. So you still, you still got your chance to spend some time with students. Uh, oh yes, very much so. And, um, I enjoyed my two years over there. Um, it was challenging getting, um, learning, um, a different, the way a, another district operates, um, I met a lot of people. Um, I loved my time working with Diane Embry. She is um, absolutely amazing and she trusted me, but yet she held me to some pretty high standards. And sure. um, I think I think that readied me for um, for um, the time when I moved into assistant principal. So she and she's an amazing leader. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I've heard that from, from multiple people. So that was preparation. And like I said, working with the students and, and getting to assist the teachers, you sort of got the, the best of both worlds there, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. It, those two years were, were amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it sure sounds like it. And uh, after those two years, you made your uh, triumphant return to Henderson County Schools, where you became assistant principal at the South Middle School. And I know um, sometime later, you earned a head principal position just up the road at North Middle School. So uh, why don't you discuss the, the most notable differences, Becky, between your typical roles as South's assistant principal and later North's head principal? Um, what's, well, they were both very difficult, but for extremely different reasons. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, at South Middle School, Leo Peckinpah and the site base um, interviewed me. They were wanting an assistant principal to focus on instruction. Um, South test scores were pretty low. The state was actually getting ready to intervene because of how low their test scores were. And um, Mr. Peckinpah's leadership style was truly hire the absolute best people that had different strengths than him and let them do their thing. And so he would, we would keep him informed, but he literally just said, you know, instructions, your realm, um, we just need to do whatever we need to do. Uh, we don't want the state coming in and taking over. So um, we just... We just worked, worked, worked. It so he trusted truly, your skills. <laughs> he did. And um, sometimes I wondered why in the world he did, but um, <laughs> no. we would, um, it was really an amazing time. Um, the former administration before Mr. Peckinpah uh, and I took our, our role as principal and assistant principal, um, they had done a, a wonderful job at um, hiring people that were, um, just sponges and wanting to learn and wanting all the same things. Um, and we truly began um, as we, as we made changes, even within the first year, we saw huge growth and the staff, it, it revitalized them and it made them trust me because the score started making an immediate turn. And um, so within two years, the test scores were soaring and um, we were no longer worried about the state coming in. And within four years, we had some of the best test scores in the state. From How about that thing. for a turnaround? <laughs> yeah, it, it was truly amazing. Um, like all of our scores went up and um, it was 
truly about um, getting everybody on the same page instructionally. Sure. So not just you, but I'm sure everybody in sales leadership probably felt like a big monkey oh. had been lifted off their back. <laughs> uh, we truly work together like a machine to, um, and, and like I said, Mr. Peckinpah's vision of understanding that he didn't have to know everything. He had to hire people that could take care of certain things because that was their strength. And um, like that was, that was something that I carried with me when I became principal at North because I tended to gravitate toward people that had my strengths. But when you're in a, a position of leadership, what you need to do is fill the gaps. The things that aren't your strength, those are who you need to be hiring um, other people that that is their strength. So he helped me to really kind of round out and understand that. Okay. And that's, that's what you tried to do, fill in those gaps when you were uh, a head principal. Yeah. And North, that was a completely different kind of situation. Um, I was actually serving as director of instruction and the principal at North had stepped down in December. Um, he had only been there since um, July and mm. he stepped down and the superintendent asked me to um, finish out the year to work there from January until till May. So you and came in mid-year. I did and um, North had truly been they had just been in a constant state of change since Scotty Long had had left that building. Yeah, he was had, there when I went through. <laughs> yes, I mean, he, he was there a long time and he was highly consistent and everybody knew the expectations, the kids, the staff, everybody. And when I came in, they had had about six different principals and assistant principals in about a four-year period of time. A lot of change. Yes, it was truly, um, it, they're just had not been any kind of consistency and the staff was struggling. Um, the students were suffering. They were really suffering like academically, behaviorally, emotionally. They had great teachers in that building, but without um, some consistency and focus and direction from the office, everybody was kind of floundering. Um, and it was, it was just pretty, a pretty negative situation or what I felt like was a negative situation. I think that's why I decided instead of going back to director at the end of the school year, I just decided that I would um, apply for the principal's position because um, I saw from the inside things that had to change. So right. Um, and uh, that was an opportunity you knew mm -hmm. that you could could make a difference. And um, it truly pushed me. Um, I took some of the experiences from um, things I had learned being a staff developer at, at um, Audubon. Like I always felt very comfortable in the instructional part. That was my wheelhouse. But I truly had to push myself um, as, as a person, as, a, as an administrator, as a leader, um, like we truly, we had to work on school culture and academics and a focus on structures that would, that would drive the school. And um, we made a whole bunch of changes. We set up committees. We joined the Jostens Renaissance to work on the school culture. We, oh my goodness, started, um, 
started all kinds of school recognition or, or student and staff recognitions. We worked on hiring teachers with the right mindset. And um, See, like, so a lot happened during your oh my <laughs> gosh, it was, there. Um, I was thankful for all of the different experiences I'd had because had I not been through some of the things I'd gone through, there's no way I could have walked into that school and made a dent. But sure. um, the ship started to turn um, and we were really making some differences. We even were able to downsize their council from 12 to about six. We were the only, North was the only council in the state that had a double council. And um, it's very hard to get 12 people to agree on anything. And so we actually managed to get the council to vote to downsize to, um, you know, to half half a council to the regular you cut it in half Mm -hmm. we implemented uniforms like we truly made a a bunch of changes and the school was was thriving absolutely now um as far as the uh, the disciplinary issues that the the kiddos have i'm guessing you probably handled a few more of those uh in your assistant principal days than you did during your time as, as head principal didn't you Actually, it's just the opposite. Like oh. Mr. Peck and Paul, we had a school manager by the name of Don Swanson, and he handled most of the discipline. And Mr. Peck and Paul helped with that at South. So I did very, very few like discipline notices at North. I did a whole lot more like being the principal. Sometimes um, you're the one that has to be involved in certain things. We had a Sam, we had a school school manager. And um, I had an assistant principal that did a lot of the discipline, but I still um, had to be involved. And it was just a difficult time at the, in, in that very beginning of mm-hmm. me being at North because the kids had had not had consistent expectations. So it was it was a very difficult situation, especially the very first six months that I was there. It was sure it was difficult but um no doubt so it kind of as far as discipline it's you know it varies just depending on the I guess the principal Mm -hmm. job and 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 where exactly you are but it uh, does they just um I think I probably ended up doing a lot more discipline as the principal just because we were working to set those expectations and I'm not one of those principals I, I talk to them more like their mother would talk to them um, if they were coming to see me, they were going to get a bit of a scolding um, <laughs> before I doled out consequences. And sometimes, you know, the, the consequences, sometimes they would beg me, you know, I would hear them begging the secretary, please don't make me see Ms. Johnson. Please let me go see <laughs> so-and-so. Um, because they know it wasn't just going to be, I'm not just assigning you to in-house. Like there's going to be some other, other things that we're going to go through but we're gonna have a little um, heart to heart first yes yes <laughs> that's that's how i roll yes indeed well <laughs> and they learned some some valuable lessons from it too now let's um let's backtrack uh you briefly mentioned this but between your years of service at uh, south middle school and and north middle school you served as direction or director of instruction for henderson county schools so uh, take us through your time in that capacity, Becky, and uh, talk about the most rewarding aspects of this experience for you. Um, well, I loved my time as director of instruction. Uh, it was a position that I had pretty much been working for for a very long time, and 
I, when I got it, I truly felt as I had, as if I had made it, I was back together with my mentor, Joe Swanson. She was assistant superintendent of teaching and learning, and she is an amazing person to um, work with, and she set such high expectations. So that part of it was so amazing. Um, I, I actually got to reconnect with the elementary schools and what they were doing because I'd, I'd been in middle school for, I don't know, seven or eight years. Sure. Um, I feel like I, I managed to grow my leadership abilities. Um, I um, helped the district to move toward using um, Google Drive and becoming more paperless and, and working at ways um, to use it for evaluations and um, as a source uh, for instruction. And so I feel like some of those things, you know, had an impact on our district. Um, and so I think that in that position, I felt like I was impacting all 7,500 kids. But um, for me, I guess I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. So I, I feel like for me, in my head, there was nothing that was better than being on the front line. I, I miss the kids. So um, when I was back in the schools on that front line again, I, I think I'm at my happiest. It's a more direct impact than when I was at, when I was at central office, but um, I loved my time at central office and my family had begged me, you know, please don't go back to the schools. Like you actually get to come home at night. Sometimes like you, you come home at seven or eight instead of 10 or 11. <laughs> so um, they begged me not to do it, but I just, I looked at the situation and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from it. So yeah, you just could, <laughs> couldn't pass it up when North Middle School came calling. So, That's true. <laughs> I, so. I understand. But I guess, you know, with Director of Instruction, um, in, in that role, you were uh, you were in all of the schools at some point in time or another, weren't you? I was. I was. The, <laughs> um, I planned professional development for um, all of the schools. I got to go. Um, I worked with the high school. I worked with the middle schools. I got to... Um, observe and work with all the elementary um, schools and their teachers so it was amazing it was a good time it was, mm -hmm. it was fun and then uh, you were able to finish your career back uh, back with the students shall we say at mm -hmm. uh, at south middle or north middle uh, uh -huh. which is um, where you uh, became head principal now how long uh, how long did you serve at north middle before your retirement i was there about four years you. Okay, I guess it's four and a half when you consider that you uh, yes. <laughs> started yes. the year. When was it that you retired, Becky? Um, I retired December of 2019, right before COVID hit. I see. So it's been two and a half years, a little over. Yes. At, uh, yes. <laughs> at this point. Now, um, what do you miss most about the realm of education since you're retirement from the field in December 2019? Um, well, most definitely, I miss the kids. And I miss um, the people that I worked with all of the staff, they were amazing. Um, when I retired, I actually stayed home for about eight months. Of course, part of that, you know, the whole world was on lockdown. And right, starting um, in March. Of oh, yes, <laughs> like it was. Um, but I did all these amazing projects and stayed home for about eight months. And when school started, I got stir crazy and I just, I, I 
didn't realize how much I needed people. And, and even to this day, when I run into kids or get to talk, talk with kids that I've had, um, those are the things that I miss the, the, the kiddos and working with the amazing staff of Henderson County schools. There you go. So all of your, <laughs> all of your fellow occupants of the building, basically, yep. <laughs> they all, true story. they all serve their purpose and uh, you are selling insurance now in your retirement years, aren't you? I am. Um, I um, actually went back and got my insurance license. Um, Chase Fulcher opened up an insurance agency by the name of Best Insured. And um, just by happenstance, I was in here because a friend of mine that I have been friends with since about sixth grade, Robin Branson, used to be Robin Lewis. She and I have been friends since we were together at East Heights in grade six. And so we have known each other a long time. And I actually came in because she said, come by and see our new office. So I came in here and jokingly commented to Chase that, um, well, I could, I could sell insurance. I can pass any test, like um, <laughs> if he could ever use me. And lo and behold, a few days later, he called and said, do you really think you could take this insurance test? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could do it. And so I did. I studied and passed the test and um, he hired me. So I've been here a little over a year. Um, I've learned a lot, continuing to learn. And it's kind of a whole new way of me helping people. See, so for, for those of you adults out there who think that your testing days are over, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> true story true story yes indeed but now you're selling it now are you doing that full-time or just part-time um I call myself full-time part-time if I don't have anything scheduled then I'm probably going to be here 40 hours if I have appointments or whatever I Chase lets me take off when I need to take off so I call myself um, full-time part-time <laughs> so that, that works nicely so you can work as, as much or as little as you want to <laughs> yeah he, he he works with me and um I've like I said I've I've really grown and learned a lot and uh, we work with some great companies and um so I, I've spent um, this last year, just continuing to grow and learn, trying to model what I've tried to teach kids all these years that, you know, learning is a lifetime event and you just have to keep growing and changing. Oh yeah. Always got to <laughs> broaden your, your horizon, shall we say. But uh, anyway, y'all, y'all don't hesitate to uh, contact Becky Johnson for all of your insurance needs and questions. <laughs> yes, I would, I would absolutely love that. Um, we write commercial and personal lines and I've written um, a lot of people from the school system that I know. A lot of times we can save them money and um, if I write them through Erie Insurance, they are one of the nation's uh, Forbes just voted them one of the top insurance companies for 2022. And um, a lot of times we can save them money and give them better coverage. So, so he's um, talking about a two for one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there you go. So Becky welcomes the opportunity to uh, assist any of you. Well, this has been great. I know that um, we've all learned a lot too, but uh, lastly, before we uh, let you go, for those in our audience aspiring to pursue careers in the educational realm, uh, what in your mind, Becky, are the most important steps to take and skills to acquire? Well, 
Um, believe it or not, the parts about teaching that involve the university are are not going to be on my list. Yes, it's important, but everybody has to have those. Right. But I think it's some of the skills that you have to have and beyond that, that truly, um, truly grow you and make you a top-notch, amazing teacher. Sure. So, uh, and these last few years have been so difficult. I've had so many teachers reach out to me that I've you know been friends with or colleagues with and um, more of them are leaving the profession than ever before Um, but we really we need them like for our society to survive and our kids to continue to grow we need the best people that we can get and um, so I, I think some of the skills that are probably some of the most important um I think flexibility, um, education continues to change. So you have to be flexible and willing to grow and change because uh, especially over the last probably eight years, um, things have been growing and changing on a, it's just at a constant pace with more information out there, more access to things. Um, Everything just continues to grow and change at a faster rate. So you have to adapt. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think one of, one of the biggest things is uh, if you're going to go into education at any, at any level, I think you've got to have a love of kids. Um, and that's all kids, mm-hmm. not, um, not specific groups of kids. Um, kids can't help sometimes what they grow up in. They can't help the th- the the issues or problems that they have to overcome. And so it is so important for people to know and understand that all kids, regardless of their backgrounds, um, that, you know, their path might be different, but every single kid in every single building has to have someone that they can connect with, somebody that can challenge them and help them and that they know really um, cares for them and um, exactly so that's important yeah so you know flexibility and and a, and a passion for all kids even though you might focus mm-hmm. on a certain age group you know you have to have a, a special spot in your heart for all of them don't you yes you you have to love them all and um, so I think when people come in with when you come into education with the whole the entire purpose being um, the students, um, and you're, you're genuine, you work to build those relationships with students and with the staff. Um, those are some of the most valuable gifts because it's, you know, in our life, like relationships are, are the most important thing long after the learning, you know, um, you've forgotten part of what you learn, but those relationships that you've built, you're going to carry those forth forever in some way shape or form so those are really important and kids can see through you and so can staff if you're not being genuine in in Mm -hmm. how you feel about them so that's really important coming into education because you have to be able to build those those relationships you don't have to like and I used to tell kids this all the time you don't have to like everybody but you have to be respectful sure of everybody because every everybody has something you know, to offer you. 
do your best to treat people the way you'd want to be treated. So most certainly, most certainly. <laughs> like you said, when, when you're not sincere, that, that always shows in some form or fashion as well. So, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think one other really important thing that I have learned over all of my years in both my personal life and my professional life is that, um, when life gets its most difficult, when it is truly, truly hard, those are the times that you're really, truly growing and stepping it up to be who you're really supposed to be. Um, If it's easy, we never see the full picture. So it's when things get hard, when you have that difficult class, when you have that difficult staff member, when you have that difficult parent, you yourself are growing into a better, more prepared person by overcoming those challenges. So that's important is to look at those times when life is hard as true learning experiences, because as you work your way through there, you are going to be better when you come out on the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason and it it, it all makes you stronger, doesn't it? It does. It <laughs> yes, indeed. And, and strength is important. Well, uh, I, I sure have enjoyed this. I hope you've enjoyed it, Becky Johnson. I I really have. I'm, I'm excited about um, school is getting ready to start. You know, they've been putting out the school supplies and I'm oh, yeah. starting to get the one calls from Henderson County Schools because I just can't seem to delete myself from that list. I like kind of knowing <laughs> still what's going on. And you still want to so, be in the loop. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, just just a tiny bit. And yeah. um, so I'm really excited to get to do this right here at this time of year when the excitement is starting of a brand new year. Um, I always, this was always my favorite time of year right before school would start because the possibilities are so endless. Anything could happen during the course of the year. It could be the most absolute wonderful year by the things that were going to happen. So it was always my favorite time of the year. Absolutely. Yeah. August 10th is the first day. So gosh, it'll, it'll be here before yes. Henderson County staff and students know it, but it uh, will. anyway, thanks so much for joining us. This has been thoroughly enjoyable and we'll do it again sometime, Becky. Sam, I so appreciate you having me on today. It's been a pleasure. Um, I've enjoyed kind of catching up with you and you you giving me the opportunity to, to just sort of share has been amazing and I really appreciate it. Well, it's been, it's been amazing for us to hear. Becky Johnson, you rock. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. To say that Becky Johnson is awesome would be quite an understatement. And that conversation you just heard, that was the first time that Becky and I have gotten to talk in a number of years. Uh, We're friends on Facebook. We got that going. And Mom had bumped into her at different places around town. But that chat on Blabbit in the Bluegrass, that was our first visit in a long time. And it was such a pleasure getting reacquainted with her and talking about old times. It's funny how we had a few of the same teachers. Well, one, because uh, I had Marietta Peck and Paul my senior year of high school. 
she had uh, Marietta in high school as well. And talk about a small world. Marietta's husband, Leo Peckinpah, he is a former guest on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. So if you haven't heard that episode, you'll definitely want to check it out and hear all about Leo's fascinating sports career. But also Roy Pullum. You know, when I was going through North Middle School, Roy was... Uh, Still quite active in the school system. He was sort of like a, a teacher's assistant. He would work several days a week. And uh, he helped me out with several of the things that I was working on, like uh, my portfolio and different assignments. And uh, he meant a lot to me as well. I think that might have been the early years of his retirement. But uh, he also taught Becky Johnson. And so that was... Also a small world, for sure. So thanks so much, Becky, for uh, imparting some wisdom on us and uh, talking with us about your remarkable career. And I know that all of you have at least one exceptional educator, and hopefully more, that you think highly of and that you'd like to nominate for a feature on this show. And I want you to let me know about this teacher or those teachers via email at bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. You can also let me know about other subjects and potential guests with connections to Kentucky that you'd like to hear featured. I am glad to consider them. And I also love hearing from you via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. Like and follow this, please, if you're not already, because all of my previous shows are there. You can uh, stay up to speed with future plans via teasers that I put out about once a week or so. Make comments and leave messages. Now, I will come at you once again. Gosh, this will be uh, in August. This this year is... It's, I know I say this a lot, but it's insane how much it's flying by and how quickly it is disappearing. But August the 3rd is when we will come back at you, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise that first Wednesday in August. So you make sure you're here or this show will certainly not be complete. Now before we let you go, this time around we do want to reveal the answer of this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. And to recap, I asked you on which day each year do we celebrate National Kentucky Day? That would be October 19th. So you got some time to get ready. But October 19th, each year we celebrate National Kentucky Day in honor of Kentucky's recognition as a state. Of course, it first became a state on the 1st of June, 1792. So how exactly October 19th was determined to be National Kentucky Day, I'm going to have to read up on that a little more. I'm telling you, even your Kentucky guru here doesn't quite know everything about Kentucky. But I do know that on October 19th, each year we celebrate National Kentucky Day. So start planning your parties now and make sure I get an invitation, okay? And come on back next week for another Bluegrass Brain Buster. Also, remember to listen and subscribe without paying a dime via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. These are all very easy to use. They are all free podcast directories. More are on the way, so stay tuned for updates. But Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal are very usable outlets for you to keep tabs on us and never miss a minute of blabbing in the bluegrass. So until we meet again next week, you know what I'm going to ask of you. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep on blabbing, blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. 
There's nothing here to hide Cause we're saying it with pride Just a blabbing in the bluegrass With knowledge of the state You're sure to appreciate Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass Where musicians furnish talent And great whiskey cools your palate Just a blabbing in the bluegrass with a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.